Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Genesis chapter 35. And I'm going to read you almost the entirety of that chapter. I'm going to skip three and a half verses because they're a a genealogy. But uh, let's begin at verse 1. And you follow in your copies of that which is inerrant, inspired, infallible. The very mind of God is black words on a white page. Genesis 35 at verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now verse 27. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The grass withers, and the flower fades. 
But the word of our God, that is something that endures forever. Gang, over the years, I have um, preached a couple of times on the subject of aging. And uh, both times that I did, I would always start out with those little those little uh, cutesy little quips that, you know, people tell about aging, you know, about um, as you're aging, you find it harder and harder to get your rocking chair started. And, or, you know, I have to be careful when I bend over because when I get down there, I forget what I'm down there for and all that business. Well, um, it's probably because I'm 58, be 59 in less than a month, and um, those little ha-has... They aren't quite as funny to me anymore for some reason <clears throat> because, um, you know, aging is really, it's really not funny. It's not for whims, is it? You know, physically, there's a lot of things um, that we can all count on that accompany us into the, the fall and winter of our lives. We all know about them um, and we dread them. But um, in most ways, they're, they're unavoidable as the body becomes less and less efficient. But we all know about those things that await us or that are uh, plaguing us even now. We know what to expect, or at least in broad strokes, we know what to expect. We don't know the details. The details, of course, will vary for, for each of us. But we know, generally speaking, what's awaiting us. And what we may now even be experiencing in this, these latter years of our lives. But spiritually, I'm not so sure we are as well aware of what awaits us spiritually in the latter years of our lives. And so I, I thought it might be helpful for us to mention a few of the things that, that you can count on that you can expect spiritually in, um, in the latter years. The details will vary from person to person. But there are a few things that, just like physically, you can count on. There are a few things spiritually that you can count on as well. This chapter that I just read, Genesis 35, is really the last chapter that's directly devoted to Jacob. Now that doesn't mean, and I'm not saying that Jacob disappears from the pages of Genesis. He doesn't. But um, starting in chapter 37, and we're going to skip chapter 36, so the next time we talk about this, which will be uh, after the verse of the year, starting in Genesis 37, there's somebody else that moves on to center stage. Jacob moves into the background, and, and his son... Joseph, remember the young lad with the multicolored coat? Joseph moves into center stage. And um, so we're going to be fixing our attention so much more on Joseph. Jacob's still alive. But in terms of the, the spotlight, the spotlight has moved off of Jacob and onto Joseph. Um, we first met Jacob 11 chapters ago in chapter 25 while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, chapter 35, 11 chapters later, Jacob is a, we've watched him 
We watched him grow up. We watched him in his youth as he sparred with his brother and battled with his brother. Um, cruel to his brother, sin against his brother, re-meet his brother. And now we come after he's married and had children, the children are grown. We come to chapter 35 and, and Jacob is a senior citizen. These are the, um, these are the latter years of, of Jacob's life. And so we get to, we get to watch this, this, Final phase of Jacob's life. And, and in a lot of ways, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of encouragement in this little final episode, or at least one of the final episodes of his life. And I, and I say that for a couple reasons. That is, I say that there's encouragement here for a couple reasons. First of all, chapter 34, if you remember anything about last week's chapter 34, chapter 34 was full of rape and deceit and, and, and genocide. And in that entire chapter, God is never mentioned. But we come to chapter 35, and boy, chapter 35 is full of God. It's full of worship and obedience. It's full of God. That's encouraging. Um, then secondly, we are beginning, and if you may have noticed in, in verse 2, we're beginning to see the kind of full-throated obedience out of Jacob that we would have hoped would have been present much sooner. But it wasn't, but it is now. Now, is that to say that you've got to wait until you're a senior citizen to begin obeying? I certainly hope not. But it does say something, I think, about, about life. About life teaching lessons. That is, life has a way, uh, doesn't it? Of teaching you things. Lessons that... You know, somebody tried to teach us when we were 21, but we, uh, we learned them the hard way, many of them. Life has a way of, of teaching us all lessons, and I think that's what you're beginning to see in Jacob. But beyond those two things, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I hope you'll hear me say. Beyond, beyond those two encouraging things, that is, obedience and and, uh, and worship and all that you're seeing here now. Beyond that, I, I, I would suggest to you that the most encouraging part of this whole story is not what you see Jacob doing, but what you see God doing. Um, look at verse 3 with me. Then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me Wherever I have gone. <laughs> what you're seeing here, guys, is that you're almost, in chapter 35, you're almost able to, t- to, to step back and get a panorama of the, of the entire life of Jacob that started in chapter 25 and is pretty much ending in chapter 35. And, and what you're seeing is not so much how wonderful Jacob is. What you're seeing is how wonderful God has been to Jacob. The constant in this story is not Jacob and Jacob's faithfulness. No. No, ladies and gentlemen, the constant is God and God's faithfulness to Jacob. What's on display in the, in the life story of Jacob, what's on display is not some 
spiritual superstar that moves from one success to the next. We never saw that. What's on display is God's great faithfulness to his child. Gang, a a study of Jacob's life, or a, a study of anybody's life for that matter, is all about, and he has been with me wherever I have gone. That's what this story is about, guys. And and it's about faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his people, even as they arrive in the the latter years. Now, what I want to do this morning is that I want to make sure that you understand what that faithfulness includes and what it doesn't exclude. I want to mention three or four things that you can count on um, about the latter years. You see them in this story here. Uh, you may have drawn a conclusion that the, uh, the longer I walk with God, that the, um, that his faithfulness means certain things that it doesn't. And so I want to try to clarify that for you. You know what's facing you physically. Well, let me mention a couple of things that's facing us spiritually. Okay? Number one, God's faithfulness to us does not preclude, does not eliminate an ongoing battle with sin. Did you see it? Um, God speaks to, um, to, to Jacob in verse 1. And, and it's interesting that God doesn't mention anything about idols. But as a result of God speaking to Jacob, he immediately thinks of, oh my, idols in my life. After God speaks, now God didn't specify that. But once God says, I want you over here, Jacob intuitively knows. Before I can give that full-throated obedience, I'm going to have to deal with some things that have plagued me for, the, for all of my life. What I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is God's faithfulness does not preclude this ongoing battle with sin with you and me. Um, the world of flesh and the devil doesn't take up vacation. It doesn't retire. Age doesn't mean no more battle. Nor does God's faithfulness mean no more battle. No, no. There's plenty of battle left. There's there's plenty of struggle over sin. You know, they may be different. You know, back in my 20s and 30s, it may have been, you know, lust and greed. Now in my upcoming 60s, it's still lust and greed. (laughs) It's still less than greed, plus uh, a, a temptation to disillusionment, to bitterness, a, a, a temptation to, to um, throw in the towel. Guys, um, in the last couple of weeks, I, um, I have met with a couple of men who, they're not quite my age, but they're close. And they've both been very successful in their careers. And they, they both told me pretty much the same thing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it, but... Here's what they told me. That their entire career, the thing that has been so important to them has been productivity. <laughs> uh, I always met my quota and then some. Why, uh, I was my company's star producer. And, and for both of them, 
they've gotten a little age on them. And they both said, not exactly the same thing, but they both said, you know what? I have produced well all of my life. But something's missing. Something's going on. Something is wrong. Something is not right. And you know, guys, I, I tell you that because I think that's the kind of the 21st century version of what you see and happened to Jacob. Yeah, you get a little age on you, and one of the things that you realize is that there are still some things on which I base my worth, my value, my meaning, and they got to go. There are some things from which I have drawn my meaning, from which I have drawn my sense of value, and they got to go. I'm going to have to do the same thing Jacob did. I'm going to have to gather them all up, bury them, and then walk away. You know, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that Jacob by this time would have been done with his idols? Wouldn't you think that after having walked with God this many years, that would be something that's over? Well, you might think it, but it ain't true. He's still battling. And so will you and me. That's one of those expectations that you can have, gang, about a continuing battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. It's interesting. I I said this earlier, but God never mentions idols. But intuitively, God speaks and Jacob knows there's something wrong in here. There's something that's not right in here. I've been living for the wrong things for oh too long. That's got to stop. All right, family, everybody together. Everybody up. Let's toss in the idols out to the center of the floor. We're leaving those things behind. And did you notice in verse 3, it says, Then, then let us arise. I mean, the, the, the obedience comes after all of the idols have been buried. You know, guys, um, I don't know whether you knew this, but let me just mention it real quick and then we'll move on. But everybody in here, I think, has heard of the 95 theses, Martin Luther's 95 theses that he nailed under the church door at Wittenberg. You know, that started the Protestant Reformation back in 1519. You know that? 95 theses? You ever heard of that? Well, we know they exist, but I wonder if you know any of the content. Can I read you number one? Thesis number one. Thesis number one of the 95 theses for Martin Luther, 1519, he says this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called for the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. When Jesus, according to Martin Luther, said repent, what he, what he was saying is the entire life of the believer from the beginning until the end, is going to be a life of repentance. We'll re- it's not a one-time act. I don't do it when I become a Christian and then forget it. No, no. 
Ladies and gentlemen, what you're seeing is an older Christian here, and dad gum it if he isn't still battling with idols. Wouldn't you think that we would have left that behind in the 30s or the 40s, but not bring it into our latter years? Well, that's one of the things, guys, that, that you can expect. Um, about the latter phase of the Christian's experience. Here's a, here's a second thing that you can expect, really, you see in this story, is the refinement of trial. That is, my, my latter years as a Christian does not exclude me from the refinement of trial. Did you notice it? Guys, in a lot of ways... This chapter is, is about funerals. There are, there are three funerals in this chapter. The first, cha- the first funeral is Deborah. Now, Deborah worked for Rebecca. Rebecca was Jacob's mother. So, Deborah was Jacob's nursemaid. She must have been really old at this moment. But So, his nursemaid, the, the, the woman that raised him, probably, she dies. She's buried. Then over in, beginning in verse 16 or so, yeah, 16, Jacob's wife dies. His beloved wife, Rachel. She dies. And then, at the close of the story, in verse 29, his father died. His nursemaid, his beloved wife, and his father They've all died in this chapter. Yeah, it's true that we attend more funerals in the, in the latter days of our lives. But that's not what I want you to see. I want to suggest to you that what was even more hurtful to Jacob than the loss of these three family members of his was what his eldest son did. Reuben. Did you see that? What Reuben did? He slept with Bilhah. Now, Bilhah, <laughs> got to keep this straight. This is kind of difficult. But, you know, Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. <laughs> Rachel he loved. Bilhah was Rachel's servant girl. But she was the mother of Dan and Naphtali. So Rachel is dead. Reuben was the son of Leah. And so what you might be seeing here is a son trying to protect his alive mother from seeing Bilhah move up. That's what might be going on here. But I'm not sure. But this much I am sure of. My kids can hurt me a whole lot deeper when I'm 60 then they can hurt me when I'm 30. You know, when I was 30, we had two kids. One was three and one was one. Absolute delight. Sheer pleasure. And then we all grew up. And the stakes went up. Don't they? And so, the way that I can be wounded by my children at 60... 
is a whole lot worse than how they could wound me when I was 30. Guys, you know that. I mean, I'm not telling you anything new. What I'm trying to illustrate is simply this. Trial is a part of every stage of Christian development, every one of them. The Christian life never reaches the stage where serious obedience has been rewarded by some kind of inoculation against pain. Doesn't happen. I, I even want to say that the pain gets worse. It increases in the latter days, which I think is designed to make us long for heaven and to help us cut the tethers of things that kind of tether us to this world. I want to read you the lyrics of a, it's a country and western song. I, I found it in a Chuck Swindoll book. And um, I, I just liked it, and I think it says something. It was a song, and it go, I, I can't sing it, but it went like this. I wanted the music to play on forever. Have I stayed too long at the fair? I wanted the clown to be constantly clever. Have I stayed too long at the fair? I bought me blue ribbons to tie up my hair, but I couldn't find anybody to care. The merry-go-round is beginning to slow down. Have I stayed too long at the fair? I wanted to live in a carnival city with laughter and love everywhere. I wanted my friends to be thrilling and witty. I wanted someone to care. I found my blue ribbons all shiny and new, but now I've discovered them no longer blue. The merry-go-round is beginning to taunt me. Have I stayed too long at the fair? There's nothing to win and no one to want me. Have I stayed too long at the fair? You may have. I can tell you this. I've buried people who stayed too long at the fair. They stayed in an unreal world thinking that all was supposed to be not one nice big merry-go-round. And all my friends would be witty and clever. And it was just one big laugh after the next. Gang, life is simply not one big bowl of cherries. And don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise. Life is a challenge. Life is tough. And it's only in the power of Jesus Christ that we have the resiliency to handle it. Life is sickness. Life is terminal illness. Life is brokenness, broken hearts and broken marriages and broken relationships. Life is not having enough money and not having enough hope. Life is discouragement and depression and times of bewilderment and uncertainty. Life is deterioration, disappointment, and ragged-edged reality. And I, for one, I cannot imagine how people face that ragged reality without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to get it out of the fair, ladies and gentlemen, and understand that God's faithfulness to us does not mean that he, at any stage of our Christian experience, is going to inoculate us against pain. Here's the third thing that you may want to put on your list of expectations of the latter years. The third thing is this. The, the need for, the centrality of, or the, the primacy of worship. 
Guys, this whole chapter, I mean, this whole paragraph, beginning at verse 9, is just one grand worship service. You'll notice in verse 9 that God appears. He goes over the name change again. Um, he calls himself El Shaddai like he had with his father, his grandfather Abraham. And, and Jacob's response is that he builds this altar and pours out this oblation on the altar. Um, but the neatest part for me, I don't know if you notice this, but three times in verses 13, 14, and 15, it says where he had spoken with him, where he had spoken with him, where God had spoken with him. The, the point is, guys, I, I think as, as uh, aging sets in on many of us, we come to the conclusion that that part of our life can now be neglected. We can take off. We retired over at the office. And we can retire over at the church. Because that was something associated with those other years. Guys. At no time in your walk with Jesus Christ will the need, will your need for a, for a piece of intimacy with Jesus Christ ever go away. Those times when you need to have him speak with you. I had an 80-year-old man sit in my office and describe to me just recently how he was in, a, in his time with the Lord in the morning and, and it was so sweet he couldn't walk away from it. Gang. This is no, and by the way, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about worship. This is no time to give that up. This is no time for you to throw in the towel. This is no time for you to grow bitter and disillusioned. Guys, what is essential for my spiritual survival as a 30-year-old and as a 60-year-old? Is, is times, many times, where I hear that the Lord has spoken with me. God, age doesn't give you any permission to give up on worship. You know, guys, um, God has designed you to be empty without Him. And if you're empty... I have a suggestion as to why. You know that, that, that great quote from Augustine who said, Thou hast made us for thyself and, has, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That's not just for 30-year-old men. You're going to be restless. You're going to be restless without him. You know, all the way through this book, all the way through its numerous stories, what you find is that God, God makes life boring on purpose. Why? Well, the purpose is so that you and I will discover that, that beauty and zest and color and songs of joy, those are derivatives of times of intimacy with Him. You neglect that. 
And what happens is we grow sour. There's one other thing I want you to see and I'm done. Guys, I hope you notice that um, there's, there's one piece of this story which is something else that you can count on. Something else that is an expectation that you can have. And it's found in verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Okay, now he's an old man and his family's older and his kids are grown and they're chasing off to this other place in this countryside. And what does God do? He accompanies them. He protects them. He makes provision for them. God is still leading. He's still protecting. He's still speaking. Even in the latter years. Guys, what more do you want? What more do you, do you want than the promise of God that He is never going to leave you nor forsake you? And, and I want to suggest to you guys that Genesis 35 is, a, is an event that illustrates the promise of Hebrews 13, which is, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. And here's what you can expect. You can expect a continuing battle with sin. You can expect a refinement of trial. And you can expect my presence. You can expect my protection. You can expect my provision. Do you remember back in chapter 31 when Jacob was a young man and he was taking his family, he was moving away from Laban. You remember that? And they were, they were running off in the night and, and Laban was really angry and he was going to chase him down and kill him. And God stopped him. He did that when, Laban, when Jacob was a young man and he's doing it again when Jacob is an old man. One final note. Did you notice in the story that there is a Christmas theme in it? <laughs> um, there's another woman who gives birth to a son in Bethlehem. Did you see that? That's in verse 19. Now, guys, I'm not saying that that, um, that was on the mind of the Holy Spirit when he had that included, but I can tell you this, it's on mine. That is a birth of a Son in Bethlehem, it's on mine. Because there is another son born in Bethlehem who is the ultimate son of Jacob. And may I leave you with this. As you consider the upcoming latter years, or the ones that you're presently in, and you begin to prepare for retirement, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to prepare for retirement, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, I would say it's altogether wise. But, but have you prepared for the years after retirement? Because that's essential. If you have prepared for the years after retirement, then you can look forward to a faithful God welcoming you home. If that preparation has not yet been made, then let me tell you, the way it's done 
It's through a baby that was born in Bethlehem. If you need more information about that, you come talk to me. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will use these thoughts to ready us for things that are around the corner for so many of us. That you'll use it to remind us that you have made promises to us as youth. You have made promises us promises to us as young men and women. And you continue to make promises to us as older men and women. That you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And that you will protect and provide and steer and guide. And we need not fret about that. But Father... I pray for the, any that you might have brought here this morning who have not yet prepared to stand before you and give an account of every deed done in their flesh. I pray that the beauty of Jesus Christ might be seen. Maybe for the first time. And might this be a Christmas better than any Christmas ever experienced. We ask it, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.